We are in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 still. And I'll be reading from verse 12 to 20. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 17. Uh, Please follow along as I read. I'll be reading from the ESV version. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Peter, and good morning. Uh, It's good to see everyone, Uh, especially if you're new or you haven't been here for a while. uh, It's particularly great to see you. I'm trying to make eye contact with people. All right. Um, As Peter said, we're continuing on the series through the book of 1 Timothy. And I kind of explained last week that uh, the book of Timothy is written by Paul to Timothy, um, not just to Timothy, but also to the church. And it's about how uh, the church is meant to conduct itself. And so we're going to talk about, you know, how we're structured, the things we focus on, uh, how we're meant to relate with one another. And today we're going to continue in this um, topic where, you know, Paul talked about the importance of doctrine last week, how it's so important of what we believe because what we believe leads to how we behave. And he's going to continue on that idea as he talks about uh, the gospel and what it means for his life today. So today, uh, if you take notes, the title is Serving with Gratitude. Now, let me ask you, do you serve, full stop, do you serve the church? Do you serve in a team? Right, you're part of one of the groups this morning that ran around and did certain things, or maybe midweek, uh, you give up your time to prepare or organize or call around. And if you answer no, why don't you? Right? I'm not trying to <laughs> make you feel bad. I just want you to think about it. Well, like what, are the legit, what are the reasons that you come up with uh, for why you don't serve? It costs a lot. I'm too busy. Right? I've got better things to do. It doesn't really seem that important or a priority in my life. Right? They're the kind of things that you might think about. Now, if you do serve and you answer the question, yes, I serve, then the question for you is, do you serve with gratitude? Are you thankful to God that you get to be a part of the team that you're in? Are you thankful to God that you get to serve him in the way that you do at church? Like, are you actually thankful? You know, on the Sunday mornings when you have to wake up early and you come to church before everyone else and you've got to do your thing and you forego a bit of sleep, in your heart is a gratitude, right? Or is it a little bit of a bit of grumbling and complaining? Do you serve with gratitude? No, I've got two points today. And the first thing I want to talk about is Paul's surprising gratitude. In verse 12, Paul says this. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, 
because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, Paul begins in this uh, kind of uh, chunk of verses that we're going to look at. He begins by giving Jesus thanks. And he's thanking Jesus that Jesus chose him to serve him. Like, thank you, Jesus, that I get to serve you in this appointment, he says, appointing me to your service. Now, when Paul talks about service here, he's going back to what he referred to in verse 11, the verse before. And in that verse, he talked about the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so Jesus has entrusted Paul with this message, the good news of salvation that sinners can be saved if they put their faith in Christ. He's been entrusted with this and he's going around telling people about Jesus. He's preaching the gospel, he's planting churches, he's making disciples, and as he thinks about his life, he says to Jesus, I am so thankful that you chose me to do this. Right, that's what he's saying. And as we read this, um, you know, for me, when I was preparing the sermon, I, I read that and I kind of skimmed over it and I just kind of continued on in you know, meditating. And after a while, I paused and I realized how absurd it is what Paul is saying. Like, it's, it's crazy that Paul, out of all people, would say to Jesus, I thank you so much that you chose me. Because let me tell you what serving Jesus looked like for the Apostle Paul. Now, he summarizes it himself in the book of 2 Corinthians. I want you to put yourselves in the Apostle Paul's shoes. Imagine this is you. Imagine this is the life that you live as you live a service of God for Jesus. This is what he says about his life. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. And so now he's going to start talking about how he is a servant of Christ. This is what it looks like. He has far greater labors. He has endured far more imprisonments. And so I've been to jail more than anyone else for Jesus. Right? Have you been to jail for Jesus? Yeah. But he, he's, he has, and more than other people. Countless beatings. Right? He's been beaten up. Often near death. I often find myself about to die. That's what serving Jesus looks like. Five times I received at the hands of Jews the 40 lashes less one. Now Jews, they believed because God said in Deuteronomy uh, 25 that you are not to lash someone 40 times because they might die. So only 39. And so he received the maximum amount of lashings in five different occasions. That's what he's saying. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, verse 26, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, right, the other people, danger in the city, and danger out of the city, in the wilderness, and danger at the sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. This is Paul's life as he serves Jesus. Hardship, sacrifice, risk, shipwreck, beaten up, about to die, thrown in prison, he gets better, beaten up, about to die, thrown in prison, right, rivers, robbers, all of these things as he serves Christ. Incredible risk, incredible cost. And Paul says, 
as he thinks about his life of service. Jesus, I'm so thankful that I get to do this. Isn't that crazy? It's absurd that out of all people that Paul would thank Jesus that he gets to serve. Paul's not thanking Jesus that Paul, like Jesus gave him a dream job. Jesus, thank you, you gave me a job that pays me a million bucks. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, thank you, Jesus, I have a job that no one wants to do, that you and I wouldn't do even if we got paid a million bucks. And despite all that it costs him, he's filled with gratitude. You know, um, for a while now, I and like in pockets of groups with leaders and pastors have been wrestling with the question, why is it so hard to serve? Like, why is it hard to find people in the church to serve? And why is it that when people do serve, that we find it hard and we, we get tired and, um, you know, oh, man, it's so hard. I'm waking up and we grumble and we complain. You know, why is it so hard to find, like in a specific example, we've been trying to find growth group leaders you know, for a very long time. Why is it so hard? And, like, we literally sit around in circles and we're like, what's the problem here? Why is it so hard? We've been trying for the last, I think, a year and a half to generate more leaders and we're trying to, we're so confused. Now, on one hand, the possibility is that it's due to external circumstances. There's something that we've done around us in the structure or the system or the resources we give or whatever it is that we need to change. And I think there is some validity to that, right? Um, people aren't serving because we ask too much of them. And we need to support them better. We need to train them better. The expectations are too hard. They're too high. We're aiming for too much excellence, right? We're focusing on too many things. Maybe we're focusing on the wrong things, right? Maybe the circumstances are wrong. And again, I think there's some validity to it. But on the other hand, as we discussed, the question arises, maybe it has nothing to do with external circumstances. And the reason why people don't serve, or the reason why we grumble so much as we serve, has nothing to do with what's going on out there. It's got everything to do with what's going on in here. Maybe the problem is the problem of a heart. It's the internal problem. And again, I think there's definitely legitimate external circumstantial reasons, and we're going to look at that. And in fact, this Wednesday, the pastors are going to get together. We're going to talk about, you know, other things that we can scale back or change, right? As long as Amy doesn't give birth and Peter's off the hook then, because obviously I have a baby. And that, that's legitimate. But when I look at the Apostle Paul, Everything about his external circumstances should have led him to complain. Should have led him to quit. It should have led him to grumble. He should have said, no way, Jesus, this is far too much of a cost, of a risk, of a sacrifice. And yet, despite that, he's filled with gratitude that he gets to serve Jesus. Right? It, like, I, I serve Jesus with my life. The, the kind of cost that it that it costs me is so little compared to how much it costs the Apostle Paul, and yet I have such little gratitude when I compare myself with him. Right? I should have so much more. Right? And we give Jesus so little, and yet we are so ungrateful. And so it's not about the external circumstance. I don't think that's the primary thing going on here. That might be a part of it, but the primary thing is about the heart. 
Serving Jesus with a joyful gratitude has less to do with what's going on around you and outside of you, but I really believe it has more to do with your heart. It has more to do with what's in here. Because when I look at the Apostle Paul, he is proof that you can serve Christ in an incredible way, with great sacrifice, with radical generosity, with high cost, and yet in your heart be filled with gratitude and not grumble and not give up. Jesus is the proof of that. When living for Jesus and serving Jesus becomes difficult, I don't know about you, but for me, I tend to blame things around me. And I look outside for reasons that I could say it's because of him. Ministry is hard. That person, no, I'm just joking. It's because of her. It's because that team. It's because of my leader. It's because of whatever. But maybe what you need to look at is inside. Maybe the reason you don't put your hand up is not necessarily because you're busy and all these things and you don't have time and, you know, maybe it's the heart. If Paul can be beaten and betrayed and be near death and serve Christ with so much gratitude, maybe we can as well. And the reason, if you go to the heart of it, for Paul's surprising gratitude, it's this. This is my second and last point, but this is the longer one. It is God's amazing grace. Let me define gratitude. This is my theory. It might be wrong. I might be wrong, okay? So take it with a grain of salt. I believe gratitude exists in the space between what I think I deserve and what I actually get instead. Right? What I think I deserve, but what I actually get. And that between those two spaces, that's gratitude. That's where our gratitude kind of emerges out of. So, for example, if you believe that what you deserve, just for round numbers, is a job that pays you $50,000 a year. That's what I deserve. Right? That's what I deserve. But what I get instead is, let's say, $70,000. Right? There's a little bit of a gap there. You'll be this much grateful right? and thankful. Wow, I've got this kind of job. Now, if, if, if you've got to believe you deserve 50000 but you've got a job of 200000 well, then there's a big gap. And you have a lot of gratitude, right? Now, on the flip side, if you believe you deserve 200000 but you get paid 50000 well, you've got negative. You've got negative gratitude. You're ungrateful. That's where the complaining and the grumbling, oh, and I hate this, da, 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 that's where it comes from. Now, job isn't just about money. It's about how I think I deserve to be treated. It's about how many hours I think I deserve to work, right? It's, it's the kind of investment that my leaders are giving into me. All of these things are contributing, and we all have a standard of what we think we deserve, and we're either getting more than that, and so we're grateful, or we're getting less than that, and therefore we're ungrateful, right? Doesn't that kind of make sense? Yeah, you do? No? Maybe you agree? Maybe? It's like when you start dating, maybe? Um, we're so grateful. Like when you first get married, you're like, oh, I deserve this, but I found someone like that, right? <laughs> they were not what I deserved. That's what I got instead. And we're so thankful because we really believe that that person is someone that I didn't deserve. But, you know, sometimes as we kind of keep getting to know the person and we get married, you realize that what you got instead was not that. It's like, you know, maybe it comes lower. And then your gratitude decreases. And sometimes it kind of goes down here. Like, oh, I got this instead. You tricked me. That's where complaining and grumbling comes out of. 
And you think, well, I deserve more honor and I deserve more respect or I deserve more rest or I don't know what it is, but I deserve more than what I got and I got this instead. That's where the complaining and the grumbling kind of comes out of. Now let's kind of relate this to the Apostle Paul. Paul's surprising gratitude is a product because when he reflected on his life, he truly believed that what he deserved was very little. And what he got in Jesus Christ was incredibly high. And that is the source of his gratitude. Right, I'm going to read verse 12 to 15. If you follow along, you can kind of see how his thanks for Jesus that he chose him to serve goes directly to his salvation and the grace of God. Right, verse 12. He says, I thank Jesus who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Right, so thank you, Jesus, that I get to serve you, even though it's really hard. And this is the reason why. Verse 13, that even though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, right? Even though I was a person like this and therefore deserved treatment like this, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and grace. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he says this in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now I want to say three things. Three reasons why the grace of God was so amazing to the Apostle Paul. The first is that the gospel, it met a personal need. This thing that he just said, the story of salvation, it met him in a really personal way. Now, verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's kind of like a popular verse. Uh, people memorize it because it so kind of clearly and succinctly summarizes the gospel message. Right? The gospel, the message of salvation. Jesus came to save sinners, right? That's what we're all about. But for Paul, this gospel wasn't just something he knew. It was something he has experienced. It was personal to him. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent opponent. When the people of Jesus and the church was trying to um, grow and spread the message of Jesus. Paul wasn't neutral during that time. He was against Christ. He was against the growth of the church. He was at the forefront of the persecution. He was approving Christians being imprisoned and killed. In Acts chapter 7, there's a story of possibly the first Christian who's killed for their faith, Stephen. And he says, Paul was there approving of it. It's like he was allowing it to happen. And then in Acts 3, it says, and Saul, that's Paul in the past, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That's Paul. He's literally going into, imagine if we're the church, he's going into your friend's house and you hear about it. The guy called Saul, he broke down the door. He dragged them out by their legs and threw them into prison. This is Saul. But he's not content with just persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem. Then in Acts chapter 9, oh sorry, in Acts chapter 9 it says, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. I love that image. It's like 
he just like he's just so filled with anger and hatred for Christians that every breath he takes is threats and murder. And he's not content with persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem, that in Acts 9, he goes to the leaders and says, can I have permission to go to Damascus and persecute even the Christians there? Damascus was a week's journey away, but he was so committed to persecuting Christians that he was willing to go over there. And it was on that journey to persecute the Christians in Damascus that I talked about last week, that Paul encountered Jesus in a very personal and powerful way. He comes face to face with the one that he's trying to destroy. But as he meets Jesus, Jesus does not destroy him. Jesus does not treat this person, though he was a persecutor and a blasphemer and a sinner. He didn't treat him as he deserved. As Paul says, instead, I received mercy and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Paul knew that what he deserved as a sinner was condemnation and death, but what he received was not those things. He received mercy, right? Mercy is not getting what you deserve, right? If you remember from like a month ago when we defined it, not getting what he deserved. He did not get judgment and death. He got forgiveness. He was cleansed. Instead, he got grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. He was called the child of God. He was, you know, appointed, you know, to be a servant of Christ, an ambassador of Christ. He was received into the family of God. That's mercy, that's grace. What I deserve, but what I get. And between there is a space of gratitude. That wasn't just true for Paul's salvation, it's true for Paul's service. He was a blasphemer. He was someone who said, Jesus is not true, he's not Lord, he's not Savior. He didn't really rise from the dead. And he goes from blasphemer And now Christ appoints him to be a proclaimer, to go proclaim the very message he once denied. Paul was a person who persecuted the church, and now he's called to go pastor the church. Paul was the one who broke down the Christians, and now he's called to build them up. He was an opponent, and now he's an ambassador. And so he understands out of all people, perhaps he was not worthy, not only to be saved, but also to be sent out by Christ to be a mouthpiece for him. And when Paul considered the call to preach the gospel in his mind, there was no greater thing that he could do with his life. He counted it as a privilege of privileges. How amazing it is that he can proclaim the very message that came to him personally and saved him. And there it is the incredible gratitude between what he thought he deserved and what he got instead. And that fueled his service, even though the service cost him a lot. This was really personal to Paul. And let me ask you, is the gospel message personal to you? Not just, I grew up in church, so I know the story. I know the answers. I know, you know, Jesus lived, he died, he rose from the dead. The formula, not just know it, but have you experienced it? Is the gospel message not just a message? You see, for Paul, the gospel message wasn't a message of salvation. It wasn't just the message of salvation. It was his message of salvation. Is it yours? Do you believe Jesus Christ came to save sinners and that includes you? Do you have a testimony of how Christ saved you from your sins? Paul loved to tell his story. In the book of Acts alone, it comes up three times. 
He loved to share it. It meant so much to him. And so no wonder he was willing to go and whatever the cost, whatever the risk, tell people about it because he had incredible gratitude in his heart for his salvation. That's where we need to begin. We need to be personal. But also for Paul, the gospel met a profound need. Paul says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul's saying, out of all the sinners I know, I'm the worst. I'm not just one of the sinners that, you know, Jesus came and saved, just, you know, one of the bunch. I'm not even one of the the better ones. And you imagine Paul would say that. I mean, this is Paul. This is Paul. He's so awesome. I love the Apostle Paul. He wrote, wrote so many great things from the Bible. Like he had legitimate the right to say, I, Jesus came to save sinners and you know, I was one of the good ones out of there. Instead, he says, I was the worst. I was the foremost sinner out of them all. Now, some people, they look at that and they say, Paul's lying here. False humility. He can't really mean this. But he does. He does. He really does. Paul says similar things in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And so in relation to his service, like I said, he knew he did not deserve to serve Christ. In Ephesians 3, he says this, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This is out of all Christians. That's what saints means. Out of all the Christians, I'm the least. And yet grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul knew himself better than anyone else knew him. And Paul knew himself better than he knew anybody else. And I'm sure that's true for you. And in a place of humility, he would look into his heart and know his evil intentions. He knew his hateful thoughts, his godless desires, his secret sins, the demons that he wrestled. He knew the thorn in his side. He knew it. And he could honestly say in a place of humility that there was no one worse than him that he knew. There was no one, uh, no one better than him, sorry, that he knew. He was the worst. So when Paul says, Jesus came to save sinners and he saved me, he means Jesus came to save even someone like Even a wretched, vile, broken person like me. I mean, I might understand that Jesus would forgive someone like them, but Jesus would even save someone like me, the foremost of sinners. This was deeply personal, but it was also profound. His salvation met a profound need, his deepest need. Paul knew when he looked into his heart how deep his depravity went. He knew how vile he could be. And so Christ's forgiveness was profoundly amazing to him. Do you understand? It meant so much. If gratitude exists in the space between what I deserve and what I got, for Paul, What he believed he deserved as the foremost of sinners was way down there. And the gap between that and what he got was huge. 
his sins were not small. And therefore, his forgiveness was not small. And therefore, his gratitude was not small. You know, in Luke chapter 7, there's a story of Jesus. He goes to a Pharisee's house. And as they're having this meal, this woman enters. She's unwelcomed. And she's described like this. It says, a woman of the city who was a sinner. That's all we know. We don't know her name. All we know is that she's a sinner. And it's like, that's all you need to know about her. That's what defines her. She's a sinner. And everyone knew that she was a sinner. She's from the city. And as she comes into this room, she wets the feet of Jesus with her tears. And she wipes his feet with her hair. And she kisses his feet with her lips. And she anoints his feet with ointment. And everyone's shocked. Everyone's kind of appalled for different reasons. And it was an over-the-top, extravagant, wasteful offering to Jesus, right? It's like, whoa, why would you do that? Why would you humiliate yourself like that? Why would you, you know, risk your, your reputation in that kind of way? Why would you pour that expensive ointment onto the foot of Jesus like that? How wasteful. And Jesus tells a parable, and at the end, he, tells, he says this, he says, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. He who is forgiven little, loves little. And what Jesus is saying to the people in the room who are looking at this woman and saying, oh, you're a sinner, you don't deserve to be here, and I can't believe you. you're doing these kinds of things. His message to them was, you think you've sinned little. And so when you hear that God has forgiven you, you think he's forgiven you little. And therefore you have little gratitude. And out of that little gratitude, you have little generosity and little service and love for me. But this woman knows she has sinned a lot. And so she understands when, she's, when she hears she's been forgiven, she knows that's amazing to her. She's been forgiven a lot. She has incredible and extraordinary gratitude. And from there, flows out her extraordinary service to Jesus, that she would fall to his feet, cry, wipe, kiss, and pour out her expensive ointment. It's the same for the woman, and it's the same for the Apostle Paul. When we believe we have sinned before God profoundly, our gratitude will also be profound. And from there, we have the I guess the resources from which we will serve him in extravagant ways. There is a sense in which every one of us should be able to say like the Apostle Paul, I am the foremost of sinners. That out of everyone I know, because I know my heart and I know my thoughts and I know the potential for me to sin, that I'm the worst person I know. In a place of humility, that's where the Spirit brings us. And if you are profoundly grateful because you are a profound sinner, you will serve God profoundly. The gospel didn't touch, just touch Paul, Paul personally and profoundly. Third, uh, just quickly, the gospel uh, met him in a present way. The gospel meant something to Paul today. And every day. Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul doesn't say, I was the foremost sinner. 
Way back when, when I was doing these bad things, back then I was the bad sinner, but now I'm not, I'm not that. That's kind of not how Paul talks. He says, I am the foremost of sinners. Paul doesn't relegate his need for salvation and the grace of God as something in the past. He understands even at this very moment, he's completely dependent on God and he needs new morning mercies and the grace of God today. He's dependent on God today. And if not for the grace of God, he will fail in the daily fight against sin. He knows inside of his heart that it's a battle against the flesh. He knows if it isn't by the provision of God, he will give in to sin. He knows that he can commit incredibly horrible acts even today. The gospel was relevant today. Now, Paul believed he had a regenerate heart. He knew he was saved from his sin. It's not that he needed to be saved every day, but the gospel mattered. Every moment of his life, Right? We say that the gospel is not the doorway to Christianity, it's the pathway. The gospel isn't just something you believe and you enter into and you become a Christian and you move on away from it. It's the pathway on which we walk every day. We come back to this message of salvation by grace in Christ every day. And if for you, you may be a Christian, but if your salvation and your need of God's grace was something 10 years ago, 20 years ago, back when I first got saved, then your gratitude will, will be limited. And when we sing songs of God's grace, it won't mean much to you. The reality is if today you stand before God and you are amazed again today by his grace, you are amazed that he today, you are amazed today that he would save a sinner such as you, that you know that you are dependent on him and that you need his grace today, then you will have gratitude today and you will continue to serve him. Or else we'll run out of gratitude. We'll begin to grumble and complain. When I look at the Apostle Paul's life, incredible that he had gratitude for the life that he lived. And I really believe it was because he really understood the gospel. He was really so thankful for the grace that he received. Jesus had given him everything. And so everything else he could lose in this world didn't matter to him. He could give everything that he had in this world back to Christ and it would not compare to what he had already received. That is how he understood God's grace. That is why he's willing to endure these things and still be thankful. This is where we come Paul had surprising gratitude and he thanked Jesus because he understood the grace of God in a personal way, in a profound way, and it meant something to him right now in the present. There's two responses I think we can have today. And we're just gonna close with this. If you're not a believer, Paul says this in the next verse, verse 16. He says, I received mercy for this reason, that in me as a foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul means, you know, Jesus saved me the worst, so I would be an example to you. That if Jesus would save someone like me, then he will definitely save someone like you. And so have hope. And don't think that you could be so bad or so far gone or that God has given up on you and Jesus has run out of patience because it wasn't the case with the apostle Paul and he was the foremost. 
And therefore for you, he hasn't given up on you. Right, Paul did horrific things. He threw Christians into prison. He allowed Christians to be murdered. He destroyed the church. He damaged the name of Christ. And yet he was saved. He was redeemed. And then God used him for a great purpose. And that is true for you too. Have confidence in that. I don't know if you know who John Newton is. John Newton was a slave trader. Right? He lived his life like making people slaves and selling them and buying slaves and making money and like just a horrific kind of job, right? And on the slave trading ships, which you'd imagine were kind of really bad places, he was actually known to have like the most vulgar mouth. Like everyone swore, like because you know, you're on a ship, I'm just imagining like sailors and everyone's swearing, but this guy was so bad that the captain had to pull him aside and be like, hey, like, you're going a bit too far. You know it's bad when you know, everyone's swearing, but you get pulled aside. He's a slave trader with a vulgar mouth, and then he met Christ. And even though he had lived such a bad life, the grace of God came to him and redeemed him like it did the Apostle Paul. And this person who was once a slave trader and enslaved people, he met Christ, he became a minister, he became an abolitionist, right, against slavery, and he, in his life, spiritually and physically set people free, right? As a, as a minister, spiritually set people free, and then as an abol- ab- abolitionist, physically set people free, right? From that to that, like the Apostle Paul, right? Blasphemer, now proclaimer, right? And this person with the most vulgar of mouths, filled with profanity, he wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. How cool is that? That he would encourage not profanity in people's lips, but now in redeemed by God, that he would fill it with praises. And that's a work of God that he can do in your life if you would turn to him. If you're a believer, this is our response. Paul ends in this, in verse 17, with a doxology. He just kind of breaks out into this random praise. It's spontaneous. It doesn't seem to fit. Uh, until now, it's been kind of informal, personal language. And now he kind of gets really formal. It's like, to the king of ages. <laughs> it's, like, just, it's like, imagine, you just stand up and like, ah. he just starts proclaiming thanksgiving to, to Jesus. And it's like he can't help it. After considering the grace of God, especially how it met him, he can't contain the praises and he's got to give thanks to Jesus. And if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you, as you reflect on God's grace, that you would join me and the Apostle Paul in giving God praise and thanks for his grace, for his gospel, and not just the gospel, your gospel, your message of salvation. And we'll sing, uh, maybe we'll sing Amazing Grace, uh, but we'll sing praises for his grace. Why don't we close our eyes and let's pray. Yeah, if you're not a believer, I really encourage you to look at the Apostle Paul and see him as an example that, you know, God's love and grace in Jesus Christ is even for people like you and me, the worst of the worst. Would you turn to him and like Paul, be forgiven and receive that which you didn't deserve, be welcomed as a child, have a place in God's family, 
be secure for all eternity, have God as your Father, close to you, next to you, and be redeemed in your purpose for Him. God will do all those things for you because of Jesus Christ and what He's done. And if you're a believer, I just want you to sit here for a moment and ask yourself, is the gospel message personal to you? Has the gospel message met you in a profound way? And has the gospel message met you in a present way today? Reflect on your salvation. Reflect on God's grace for you in this current moment. And would you give God thanks as He deserves. Let's spend a bit of time in prayer. Let's pray.